Well, make some noise tonight if you're excited to be here. Wow. Goodness gracious. Do you believe that the Lord is in this place right now? I mean, really, really, really. Like, let me ask you, for real, like in that worship song, as Will led us in prayer time, do you believe that the creator of the heavens and the earth is with us tonight? And I believe that God is in this place. We've got the entire game room almost packed out. We see you back there. Thank you for being there. Uh, This is an incredible turnout. I I hope that you believe in revival because if not, we're in the middle of it. (laughs) You can look around and see that revival has already started right here in Memphis. And this is what happens. College students get on fire for Jesus. They get on fire for the word. They get on fire for prayer. And lives start changing. Hallelujah. Man, has anybody in the room experienced the life change of Jesus Christ before? Amen. Amen. Listen, hey, thank you so much for being here tonight. We are very, very excited for tonight. My name is Daniel Harris. I am the college pastor of The View. We have a director. His name is Jacob. And tonight, we are very thrilled because our very own Dakota Tucker will be preaching the word. We, uh, we, uh, I'm very, very excited for Dakota to preach tonight. Um, I was a freshman in, in college, and uh, he was an eighth grader when we met. And uh, I was coaching basketball at Elmo Park Middle School, and he was a basketball player. And uh, we started hanging out and training, and I didn't know the Lord. He didn't know the Lord. We were both lost, and uh, we started hanging out and spending time together. And so y'all look at him. Y'all see buff. Y'all see tattoos. I still see scrawny and snaggletooth because <laughs> he didn't have braces yet. Um, but I love this guy to death. Uh, this guy is a brother to me. Uh, I have watched his life radically change because of Jesus Christ. It's nothing that I did. It's not even the view. It's Jesus Christ through the view. And the Lord's hand is on this young man's life. And I am very, very grateful and blessed to have him here at the view with us. And so I hope that you're excited as I am for tonight because I am pumped. So would you please, view family, help me welcome for the first time to the view stage, Dakota Tucker. As Daniel said, you family, how are we doing tonight? Yeah. Man, that's just a super sweet moment for me. As Daniel said, I met him in the eighth grade as a scrawny, snaggletooth basketball player. And um, he taught me the very first move was an up and under. And I promise I still use that today as I play pickup ball. And it still works. Um, but more than that, he taught me character. He taught me how to be a man. And this was even before I gave my life to Jesus. And, um, and then 11th grade... He got saved, and he became a part of the view. And I remember him telling me the story of Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And I just kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off. And, um, and then one day I went to a summer camp with him. He said, Dakota, I have this free beach trip that you get to go to. And as a selfish kid, I'm like, man, I'm going to the beach for free. Uh, no intentions of going down there to give my life to Jesus. But, man, I hear the gospel, and I hear that this man named Jesus lived a perfect life. And he never sinned, and he was the substitute for my sins and all of our sins in this room tonight. And he radically changed my life when I was 18 years old. But as Daniel said, my name is Dakota Tucker. I serve here as the college MA. Um, I came on staff back in October. And um, I've actually been a part of The View for almost two years now. And it's just an awesome story, an awesome testimony, and I just give it all over to Jesus. Again, he radically changed my life. And I'm so excited to be on this point of the stage tonight. I'm used to being out there, so it's crazy. And Daniel and Jacob, they've just 
It's a pleasure and an honor and a joy to serve under them as two godly figured, godly men that I look up to, and they teach me ministry excellence. They, they, pre- they prepped me to preach tonight, and they've taught me so, so much more. And if you're wondering, if this is your first time here, because as Daniel said, good grief, there's a lot of y'all in here. We got people all the way in the back, and we are so thankful that y'all are here. Um, if this is your first time here, second time here, and you're like, man, what is The View? What are they about at The View? I just want to encourage you and tell you guys, here at The View, we preach biblical truth that is culturally relevant to the life of a college student. That's why we do Use Your Voice. That's why we did You Belong Here, because we want to equip students to use their voice on campus against countercultural things. Because you know, as college students, there's a lot of people that believe differently than we do here at The View. And that's the reason for this sermon series. And we've tackled a bunch of different things. Last week, I'm glad Daniel tackled the giant of gender and sexuality. I got something a little, a little bit under that. And he just talked about that if our circumstances, if our circumstances are not built on Christ, we'll always find ourselves in an identity crisis. And I just, I hold that close to me. And if you don't build your life on Christ, man, please talk to one of us tonight. And we would love to tell y'all what that means. But if you have your Bibles, man, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3 tonight. Daniel chapter 3. And if you're curious, no, I did not pick that because Daniel is my best friend. God gave me that passage tonight. And uh, it's a great passage. I love it. And it's just been a joy to study it. And the weeks leading up to tonight, I'm going to be honest, guys. I was like, man, Daniel, how the, how the heck do I start off a sermon? And he told me, he was like, man, Dakota, think of something personal. Think of a story. Think of something that's happened in your life. And uh, I played high school football. Who played high school sports in here? Yeah, we got a lot of people that played high school sports. And even if you didn't play high school sports, I played recreational sports. Who played recreational sports? I'm telling you, my senior year, I played Bellevue basketball, and I had some of the best fun I've ever had at Bellevue basketball. And all of us can relate to this if we played any type of sports. Every team has that one or two lazy people on the team. Can I, can I get an amen to that? They're always goofing off. They, they don't know when it's time to get serious, and they don't know when it's time to stop goofing off. And I remember... I remember this week um, in summer, over the summer, high school football, we'd have this week called Max Out Week. We'd be in the weight room over the summer getting prepped for the season. And what Max Out Week was, every day we'd go into the gym, Monday through Friday, and we'd have one specific lift, and we would attempt as much weight as we possibly can. And I, honestly, I still do that sometimes at the gym today because it's just super fun. Um, and you attempt as much weight as you can on a bench press, a deadlift, a power clean, a back squat, a front squat, all these different things. And I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. The people who goofed off, they got crushed by their goal weight. But the people who worked hard and worked for it, man, they crushed their goal weight. And it was cool. I had this coach, and a lot of you, some of you guys I've talked to you all about him, Coach Stark. is a muscular dude. His, he wrestled, and Captain Humongo was his nickname. This dude is so big. His biceps are so big. He cannot scratch his back. I'm telling you, if I put a sticky note on his back, he could not grab it. I love Coach Stark. If he was in here, he'd probably tackle me off the stage. But he told me something that I'd always remember, because I, I remember it today, too, as I work out with some of my roommates and some of my buddies. He said, Red, if you want to get stronger, you have to work out with people that are stronger than you. And I'm thinking, hmm, so what if I don't work out with people that are stronger than me? And I started to think. A big factor of the weight room is the people I work out with and the environment of the weight room itself. Because either I work out with guys that will push me to get stronger or I just get weaker. And a lot of us can attest to that who work out. In the same way in our walk with Christ, if you want to grow stronger in your faith, you have to surround yourself with believers that are stronger than you. 
When it comes to people we surround ourselves with, they do two things. They either push us to Christ or they pull us to Christ. There's no in-between. Those are the two options. And if you surround yourself with Christians that are partying on Sunday and then come into church, I'm sorry, partying on Saturday and come into church on Sunday praising, don't be surprised when you fall into that same lifestyle that they're living. In other words, don't be surprised when you become who you surround yourself with. In other words, don't be surprised who you become. Let me repeat that. Don't be surprised when you become who you surround yourself with. And you ask Dakota, what do you mean? Well, think about it. In college, we're influenced by so many different things, right? What people are thinking about us, what people are doing without of us. I heard this acronym, FOMO, fear of missing out. Um, What other people say about us behind our backs. And I want to tell you tonight, college students, when these are the things that influence the decisions we make, we fall into the trap that we're going to tackle tonight, and that's peer pressure. And all of us have experienced some type of peer pressure in our life. Lost my place. Talk about peer pressure tonight. But, man, before we hop into this passage, I'm going to pray for us. And, man, we're going to go ahead and dive in. Lord, you are so good. And I thank you for my best friend in Daniel, God. I never would have thought an eighth-grade basketball coach would be introducing me to preach your word, God. Thank you for radically changing his life so that he could talk to me about you and you could radically change my life, God. Thank you for the view and how you've used it. And, Lord, I pray that you would use the view in other college students' lives as well, Lord. If anybody is not saved in here tonight, God, I pray that they would surrender their hearts to you, Lord, and you would radically change their life like you've done for so many other people, God. I pray the heavens open over this place tonight, God. We want to hear from you, God. Control the stage. Control this place. The devil has no place in here tonight, God. You, Jesus, are the only one that belongs here. And if you agree with that, say amen. amen. So if we're being honest, we, I, I've said it already, but we face this problem of peer pressure. And I, I get it. Everybody has this desire to fit in with the people who are around. That's understandable. You know, nobody wants to be left out. But as people, if we desire to fit in with other, as people, we desire to fit in with other people. But we can't let that desire be bigger than our desire to follow God. Because when our desire to fit in with people is bigger than following God, we actually forget how to follow God. And the flip side of that is if your desire to follow God is bigger than fitting in with people, you don't have to worry about fitting in with people. God's made us to stand out. God's called us to be different. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, why do we want to fit in with this specific group of people so bad? And another question you might ask yourself What are they pushing you to do? What are their intentions? People will push you to do all kinds of things, but that doesn't mean they have the best intentions for you. And tonight we'll learn from three men by the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they knew how to defeat this topic of peer pressure, this battle of peer pressure. And so verses 1 through 7, I won't read them. I'll just kind of summarize them. We meet this king named King Nebuchadnezzar, and he has built this gold statue for himself. I don't know what it looks like. It didn't give me too much description, but... Imagine this big old statue. The Bible describes it as 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. So I started to do some research, um, and I looked up um, Staples Center because they always have people, famous basketball players, um, statues for them outside. And I thought about the biggest dude I could think about, Shaquille O'Neal. That is just one big man. And he stands about over 7 foot tall. His statue is only 9 feet tall. So imagine that is 10 statues of Shaquille O'Neal, and that is a massive man. So this statue, trump, that statue trumps this Shaquille O'Neal statue. And there was to be this ceremony that they would dedicate this statue to King Nebuchadnezzar. But it won't stop there. Look with me at verses 4, and I'll read through verses 4 through 6. A herald loudly proclaimed, 
people of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music. You are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. In verse 7, we learn that people of Babylon hear the sounds of the instruments. I guess they had a band with all those different instruments playing. And everybody fell face down to worship this man-made statue. Everyone fell face down to the statue except the three men that we're going to look at tonight, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. I believe that these men did three specific things that we should do on our college campuses to stand up and defeat the battle of peer pressure. Because I don't know about you guys, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the Old Testament is the same God that we worship here at The View today. It's the same God from Exodus that when God said, hey, Moses, you're going to free my people from slavery. It's the same God that we believe here in The View today. The same God that Jesus was connected to all in one when the devil said, hey, if you do this, I'll give you the whole world. Jesus said, no, I'm going to combat it with Scripture. That's the same God we believe in here at The View today. The question is, do we believe? So tonight we're going to tackle this topic. We're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So look with me as I pick up in verse 8. I'll read through verses um, 8 through 15. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the, here's all the instruments again, horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. Ooh, that was a lot of instruments. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? The first thing that we have to do on our college campuses if we want to defeat peer pressure is, number one, stand up for God. Stand up for God. <clears throat> See, the, this command that the, the king has issued would be impossible for a faithful follower of Christ to follow, would be absolutely impossible. And we quickly see in verse 8 that we see the hearts of the Chaldeans, as the Bible says, some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. And then they like a little snitch. They ran to the king. King, king, they're not worshiping your statue. And so we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are (laughs) are brought before the king. And this news puts the king in a furious rage. And I started, as I was reading and studying this, I was thinking, I was like, so this king right here is upset that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't bow down and worship a statue that he made? A man-made statue? Seemed kind of backwards. And I started to think more and more. This is what I realized about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They realized that since they were the creation, if they worshipped anything besides the creator, they were doing something wrong. And that goes the same thing for us. If we're worshiping and idolizing anything besides the creator, God who created us, we're in the wrong. And we see that the three Jews are brought before the king, and he asks them, hey, is it true? He gives them one more chance to worship this gold statue. One, 
one more chance. And it's like, hey, if you don't do this, and he reminds him, hey, if you don't do this, I'm about to, I'm about to throw you in this blazing furnace of fire. I don't know. That's probably one of my biggest fears is the burning alive. I would, I would not want to die that way. So these guys, so I started to think, for Christians, when it comes to peer pressure, we must fear the consequences of God more than the consequences of man. Because let me tell you something. If these men would have listened to the king and bowed down to the man-made statue, they would have they escaped a worldly punishment, but they would have had to face an eternal punishment one day. And I just have to ask you, the guy, everybody, this question, which one would you rather face? Would you rather escape a worldly punishment and keep living? But one day we're all going to face God one day, and he's going to remember, hey, you bowed down to that false god. Why? Which one would you rather face? And before we go any further, I, I assume all of us know what peer pressure is, but I wanted to define it for us. Peer pressure is defined as an influence from members of one's peer group. So we think about college today, and I imagine y'all face it in middle school and high school. But in college, in today, college is culture. It's just peer pressure. We face so many kinds of peer pressure. We have to compare ourselves to others with Instagram and Twitter. My life doesn't look like theirs. We have to face the peer pressure of finding our identity in materialistic things like, man, I got to make more money. I need more clothes. I need more shoes. I need more this and that. And we also face this peer pressure of drinking and smoking on, on our college campuses. We have to do these two. We have to drunk, get drunk and smoke weed to, and get high to fit in with this group, this specific group. But college students, I want to encourage you about something today. We don't have to let that be the case. <clears throat> the week leading up to this tonight, man, I'm, my nerves have been through the roof. I've been, I felt like I could run through a wall before on that last worship song. I was, and then all the prayers, I appreciate that. Y'all are just so sweet. I started, I started Dan, uh, Jacob, he asked me this question. He's like, man, Dakota, where, where were you in life three years ago? And it was a humbling reminder. I think back, man, February of 2017. I'm in high school, I'm lost, and I'm living in sin. And it's just a humbling reminder again of how God has radically changed my life. You told me three years ago or even two years ago when I first came a part of The View, I had to go, you preach at The View one day. I said, boy, you crazy. And um, again, I just said there's this mindset that you have to drink or do drugs to fit in. And well, three years ago, I was in those shoes. I did that to fit in. The guys I was surrounded with, all we knew was to smoke. And I'm not here to glorify my sin or things like that, but that's what we knew. When we got off work, it was time to go smoke. And I used to work at Texas Roadhouse, and each night we'd get off. That's what we'd go do. And the guys I used to hang out with, I, I want to address them as well. I still love them to today, and I pray for them that they come to know Jesus because I want to push them to Christ now because my heart, again, has just been radically saved by Christ. So I'm not trashing them by any means, but that's what we used to do. And one night, me and one of my guys, we got off work. It was late. We probably had a rough night because Texas Roadhouse, it's tough to work there sometimes. Um, but everybody raves about our rolls and butter. Look, it's not, it's, not worth, it's not that good, I promise. One night we got off, and we were walking to the car, and he said, hey, Decoat, man, you want to come hop in the car with me and smoke? And at this time, I was saved, praise the Lord. It's, this is when I had first started to live, live out my faith at Texas Roadhouse. And I remember telling Daniel, I had to, he challenged me. He was like, Dakota, prepare a Devo to teach the guys about marijuana, and I, I, I prepared it, and I got all these scriptures and things like that, and in this moment, I realized, I was like, man, I can finally stand up for what I believe in, or I can fall into the worldly pleasure and say, yeah, man, I'll smoke, because a lot of times, I thought about it like this. I thought this was kind of funny. <clears throat> in this moment, I realized if I were to get in the car with sin, I was going to take a ride with sin, 
And college students, how often are we riding around with sin? And Because I, I think about it. If, if sin is the driver and I'm in the passenger seat, it's hard to get away from it. Because it doesn't matter how strong you really think you are spiritually. If you hang out around sin long enough, you will fall into it. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. And it was in this moment that I had the chance to either stand up for God or give in to the world. But you may ask the question, man, Dakota, how do, we, how do we stand up against this? How do we stand up against peer pressure? So I, I started to think and pray, and it, it just it hit me. God hit me like a brick. He was like, here you go, Dakota. <laughs> we can't expect to stand up for God if we're not standing on the word of God. And that comes from Bible reading. If you want to be able to live out the word of God, first you must live in the word of God. You have to be in this. This is what changed my life. Not, not the view. The, God used the view to change my life. But this right here, the story of Jesus and hearing from him on a daily basis, that's what changed my life. That comes from consistent Bible reading, prayer, and memorizing scripture. Because those guys who I used to smoke with, they don't think it's a sin. And I remember when at the beach week I got saved, the speaker said, people in your life will twist scripture to fit their lifestyle. And I hold on to that so close because that's what my buddies were doing. But now that I know Scripture and that God has changed my life, I said, no, man, that's not what the Scripture means. Let's look at the rest of the passage. And too many Christians are losing these battles against peer pressure because they simply don't spend time with God. We, we harp on it and harp on it here at The View. If you want to be changed, you have to be in the Word. And that comes from accountability. That comes from discipleship. I remember when I got discipled with somebody, Andrew Bryant, he took me through the Bible. He taught me how to read the Bible. He taught me how to study the Bible and memorize the Bible. And now I get to do that for other believers. And one day I get to see them do that for other believers. And it's just, it's a growing, growing thing. I love this pastor out of Hendersonville. He's a massive guy too, Robbie Gallaty. If you ever look him up, you're like, he's a pastor? He's like a weightlifter. Robbie Gallaty always says, when we get into the Word, the Word gets into us. I love it. I want, I want us to be excited when we get into the Word. We should write when Daniel and Jacob or whoever gets up here and speaks or anywhere at church, when they say, man, let's get into the Word, we should scream. Let's go. Let's get in the Word. And again, and I don't want to, I'm not here to bash all of us about peer pressure. I want to encourage us about peer pressure. And that encouragement comes from Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I think it, it should be on the screen. I'll read it. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in the view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. This right here is what stuck, sticks out to me. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be, discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want to know why these three men were able to stand up against this peer pressure? It was because they understood that they were called to live biblically and not worldly. They were called to live biblically and not worldly. And that, that's the same thing that goes for us if you're a Christian. We are called to live biblically and not for the world. We have to be willing to stand up for what we believe in. And again, like I said, my, my buddies still disagree with me. But not only is it it's one thing to stand up for what you believe in, but it's another to stick what you believe in, stick to what you believe in when people disagree. Because on college campuses, people are going to disagree with what we, what we believe in. They're going to be like, no, nah, man, I can, I can do that and still, and still get to heaven. I, can st I, don't ha I don't have to do that right now, man. I'll do it another day. And as college students, we have to remain firm in what we believe in. Because if we're not firm in our faith, how do we expect others to believe in what we believe in? I love what Daniel said a few weeks ago in uh, one of his sermons. He, it's about two weeks ago. He said, a lack of confidence in telling others why they should believe comes from a lack of confidence in why you believe. And I just think that's a great reminder, man. I, I'm always picking at Daniel's sermons because, man, the Lord just speaks through him. And I, just, I learn a whole bunch of stuff from that dude. I love him. 
The king even goes to the point of challenging these men by asking them the question of, who is the God who can rescue you from my power? So this dude thinks he's the man. Like, who's going to rescue you from me? I'm the king. We'll learn about that later. Since the building of this statue, King Nebuchadnezzar has been completely blinded of who the true God is. He's probably a little prideful. He's like, I got this big old statue. Y'all have to worship it or else. Um, But we learn about that. If we go back just one chapter, chapter 2, verse 47, we see the king has the right perspective of God. In this chapter, the king has a dream, and it demands its interpretation. Once it's been interpreted, King Nebuchadnezzar tells Daniel, this is what it says, Your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, since you are able to reveal this mystery. But, again, like I said, he got, he got prideful, man. This is a big old statue, and you, if you don't bow to it, you will get thrown into the fire. And that's how we have to stand up for God. But as we continue through this passage, I'm going to pick up in verses 16, and I'll read through verses 23 as we keep looking and learning about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary, and he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell face down into the furnace of blazing fire. Number one, we have to stand up for God. But number two, I believe we have to speak out for God. We have to speak out for God. We have to speak for what we believe in. And here in verses 16 through 18, we get to hear the response of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And man, what a strong and firm response it is. I believe we can get two things from their response in these verses. A, they don't need to answer the question because they already know the answer. King kind of asked them a rhetorical question. But B, they know the God they serve exists, and he will be the one to rescue them from the fire and from the king's earthly power. How many people know that our God has heavenly power, not earthly power? Come on. But even in verse 18, we see their response. It gets even more form, even more firm, excuse me. Even if they don't get saved from the fire, they all remain on the same page for who they believe in. In other words, they don't mind dying physically because they know they'll live forever eternally. And that's so much better, live forever eternally with Jesus. And as you can imagine, it would take great faith to stand up for a situation like this. King came to me, you're going to get thrown into a fire. Like I said, I'm scared of fire. I don't want to burn alive. I learned, we, we, can look at, we can look what faith is in Hebrews 11.6, and this will also be on the screen. And it says, now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And as college students, if we want to overcome these different kinds of peer pressure that we face, we have to have this kind of faith. But you might ask the question, man, Dakota, how did they get to this point in their faith? You know, did they get prepared? How did it happen? We learn about this, that God brought them to this point in their faith in chapter 1. So back in chapter 1, not worm. Back in chapter 1, 
we learn that Daniel was determined not to defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. It's because God gave him a command that there were certain foods that he's forbidden his people not to eat. And in verse 17, we learn that he blesses their obedience. Daniel 1 verse 17 says, God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. When they saw God bless their obedience in the small decisions, this gave them the courage to obey when the stakes were much higher. And tonight, many of us fall in our obedience because we wait for something big to test our faith. And I want to say this. You won't be able to stand big. You won't be able to stand firm in the big things if you don't stand firm in the little things. And I started to think. I was like, man, how can I, how can I bring this to life? You know, something small to something big. And I started to think about a flower. I don't know why. Just My mind went to a flower. You got to plant the seed and it grows. Um, and growing up as a kid, my stepdad always made me and my brother cut the grass. I'd have the front yard. My brother would have the backyard. I don't know. And then one day my brother got married and I had to cut both. Um, but... <laughs> But as, and now, but he has to cut his yard at the house now, so it's even. Um, but as I, cut the, as I cut the grass, my mom would work in the flower beds. And my, Tim, I'm sorry, I loved working in the flower beds more than cutting that grass, man. It was just, it was more fun and it was more pleasing. And I loved to work in the flower beds with my mom because it just, it gave me time to hang out with her. I love hanging out with my mom. She's sweet and she just, she took care of me and a, she's a woman. She's here tonight. So if you get to talk to her, man, she'll, she'll encourage you, I promise. But before we could plant the flowers, we had to go to the store. I can't remember. She'll remember better if we went to Home Depot or Lowe's. And when we got there, we'd have to buy all the supplies. You know, we'd have to buy soil. We'd have to buy the flowers, obviously, shovels. And then she, for some reason, always had to have a new pair of gardening gloves. I don't know why, but we could probably go to my garage at my house right now and find four or five pairs of gardening gloves. I don't know. And I just, I let her. I would go with her and i say, Mom, you pick the flowers because, one, I don't know what you want, but, two, Moms just know best, so I just let her pick all the flowers. And, and as we got back home, we'd unload everything. We'd look at the, the garden and the, the soil and the, all the grass that I just got done cutting. And we would say, we'd think to ourselves, where could we plant these the best that they would flourish? We'd have to strategically place them so they could grow. And as we began to plant these flowers, we'd strategically plant these flowers in specific places. Plants, was, plants don't just grow on their own. Many of us have probably planted a plant before and haven't taken care of it. And a week later, we're like, oh, snap, it's dead. <laughs> Photosynthesis, right? Science. <laughs> We'd have to water them and make sure they were getting enough sunlight for them to flourish. Because we know that if a flower doesn't get water or sunlight, it will have a hard time growing. And Christians, tonight, I want to compare us to a flower. We're in, we're in the same boat as a flower. If we're in a dark environment, we will have a hard time growing just like a flower. If we don't get watered, we'll have a hard time growing just like a flower. And I'm about to roll through this part right here. Jesus tells us in John 4, 14, this right here, that but whoever drinks from the water that I will give him, he will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. We have to be watered by Jesus and be in the word again. And again, I started to think about the sun, probably the most important part. And I thought about it. I was like, man, if a flower needs the light of the sun to grow, then as Christians, we need light of the sun to grow. It's the same thing. Jesus is literally called the light of the world. In John 8, verse 12, it says, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Because we know if a flower doesn't get light, it will die. 
physically. Just, just like that, as a Christian, if we don't get light, we'll die spiritually. And as college students, we have to ask ourselves, going back to that idea of if we don't stand firm in the big things, we won't stand firm in the, I mean, if we don't stand firm in the little things, we won't stand firm in the big things. We have to ask this question, what are the small things that we are ignoring in our walk with the Lord? What small things are we ignoring in our walk with the Lord? And that's a hard question to ask because you start to notice something, you're like, oh, snap, I did ignore that. And we see there's no hint of excuse in their response. They could have thought of a thousand excuses that seemed justifiable to compromise. I know all of us have used this excuse when we get in trouble with our parents. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah, there we go. I know y'all have said it before. Instead of falling into that, they cultivated brave personalities willing to stand, God, stand, willing to stand for God alone. Their faith in God saving, saving them was not built on an expectation of this miracle. But it was built on his character and who they knew God to be. And I can ask you all the question, who do you know God to be? Do you, do you build your faith on, man, if God doesn't do a miracle in my life, I'm not going to believe in him? Or do you build on, man, God has already done a miracle in my life by saving me through his son, Jesus? Sometimes instead of just removing our problem, God uses that problem to reveal himself to us and to the people around us. So, again, through one of my favorite verses, this is, this, is, this is the spirit right here. I memorized it. It was James 1, 2, and 3. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. The Bible writes that we have to find joy in our trials. And I know that. So I'm not going to sit here and say I do that all the time because I don't. Because it's hard to find joy in the trials. It's hard to say, man, man, Jesus is still my rock when everything's going against you. But you have to believe that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, hey, even if my God doesn't save me, I'm not bound to your false God. The purpose of our trial may not be understood, but God simply asks us, as his children to trust him, even when it isn't easy. Now, I want to tell you all something tonight. God doesn't promise to deliver us before we get to the fire, but he does promise to deliver us through the fire. Amen? Amen. The king is once again filled with rage. This dude is a madman. And commands the furnace to be heated up seven more times than it usually is. So basically, I'm, I was reading and studying that. This man said, hey, go heat up the furnace, max, max heat, man. Heat it up as much as you can. I want to burn these dudes alive. And we learn in the passage that the dudes that take the guys to the fire are burned alive. Yet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get thrown into the fire. So again, these guys are tied up in all their clothing and were thrown into the furnace. The flames were so hot, the king's demands were so urgent, the flames consumed the soldiers. So now we're at this part, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they've been thrown into the fire. And you're thinking like, man, they're, they're done. Like, what happens next? Look with me at verses 24, and I'll read through the rest of the chapter. And this is, this, is, this is good stuff. This is the best part of the chapter. Verse 24 reads, Then King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, Didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, Look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, 
Praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone, any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. First, we have to stand up for God. Second, we have to speak out for God. But thirdly, we have to serve the true God. And in verse 24, we see that Nebuchadnezzar quickly jumps up. They, he thinks, oh, okay, those three men got thrown into the fire. They're good. And he questions. He turns back and he says, wait a minute. Am I seeing something? I see, I see four men. And they, the guys, the guys confirm, like, hey, king, man, we threw three dudes. I promise, unless we can't count. But we threw three dudes in there. But we see that there's a fourth man in there. And not a man, but God is in there. And he recognizes their God as the most high God. And many scholars believe that the fourth person in the fire was pre-incarnate Jesus. And that's just something super cool. We sang in that last worship song, there's another in the, I'm not going to sing it, I'll walk through it. There's another in the fire standing next to me. And many of us here today, many of you tonight are in the fire right now, but you don't have Jesus on your side. So you don't know how to get through that fire. You can't escape that fire because, I think about a firefighter, the chief of fire is not on your team. The chief of fire is not walking you through the fire. And that same God that saved these men from the fire, they can save you from your situation of peer pressure on campuses. If you serve the true God, you don't have to serve the false gods that people make you serve out of peer pressure. But the question is, are we going to just talk about what we believe in? Or are we going to live out what we believe in? Are we going to talk about what we believe in? Or are we going to live out what we believe in? When all the king's advisors came, they gathered around and they noticed the fire had no effect on them. And I think that is so cool. Their hair wasn't burnt. They didn't smell like smoke. And their clothes were perfectly fine. You can't tell me that if I get thrown into a fire, I'm going to walk out like that. No way. We see that God is in full control of the whole situation. Because the God that created everything is in control of everything. The God that created everything is in control of everything. And I hope, my prayer for tonight is, college students, I hope you believe that. That the things that you're going through right now, the problems, the peer pressure that you're facing, I want, you to, I want to remind you guys, encourage you guys, that God is in control of everything. In verse 28, we see Nebuchadnezzar praised God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He recognized that these men were willing to die before they worshipped any man-made God. Are we at that point in our faith? We talk about persecution. We don't face persecution like this. We, we do campus ministry every Monday, and I, I get, today I walked up to people, hey, man, you have a relationship with Jesus? And somebody might laugh at me, but he's not going to say, bro, I'm about to throw you in the furnace of blazing fire. We don't, we, don't, we don't face persecution like that. We don't face persecution like that. But the question, are, do you have that mindset and that spirit that, hey, I'm willing to die for this faith I believe in because Jesus did it for me because he loves me? <clears throat> Sometimes human faithfulness may, may mean risking the death to stay true to God. Let me share some encouragement. God can save his people from circumstances humans consider impossible. And that's true. I believe that, and I hope you believe that. When we prove faithful, God can save us in ways that no other power or authority can. That's why he's God. I'm t- if they bow down to this man-made statue and they still got thrown into the fire, that man-made statue is not walking me through the fire. It's too heavy. 
And I want to tell you something tonight, that the same God that delivered these men from the fire can deliver you from your sin tonight. The same God that delivered them through and out of the fire can deliver you from your sin tonight. And as I close, you can put your notes away and bow your heads. And I just, I just want y'all, as, as Will said, man, just, just go before the Lord in this moment. <clears throat> go before the Lord in this moment. Just take a moment and just think. What fire, what problems am I walking through right now? What's going on in my life? What struggles do I have? What, is eating, what sin is burning me alive right now? And I won't tell anybody about it. Because what I want to do is I want to share the greatest love story of all time. And I want to share the love story that saved my life and that can save your life tonight as well. We believe that God created everything on this earth. Every person that has walked this earth, we believe that God created. And I love it. I say it every time I share the gospel. It's because creation demands a creator or design demands a designer. And that was God himself. But you see, as people, we like to disobey, and we have this problem. We have this problem called sin. And sin, I ask people, I say, man, do you know what sin is? And they rattle off a bunch of different examples. Sin is anything against God's will. And sin separates us from our right relationship with the Lord. And that's a scary place to be. Again, I was there three years ago as a high school senior. I was there three years ago as a high school senior. But I heard this story about a man. His name's Jesus. And he loved us so much, God said, you know what? I'm going to send you to earth. You were born, you're going to be born of a virgin, and you will never sin. You will live the perfect life because I love my creation. We love our creation. And with that, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. That's what we believe here at The View. And because he was that, he lived the perfect sinless life, and he was able to be the substitute for my sin on the cross and for all of your sin on the cross. And so they took him. He carried this cross on his back. He carried it up. They put it up. They drove nails through his hand, they, hands. They drove nails through his feet. They put this crown of thorns on his head. And Jesus, dripping blood, his last breath, he died for all of our sins. And, but not only that, he was buried for three days. Jesus was buried for three days, but he wouldn't stay dead. Because God raised him up from the dead three days later, and he conquered hell, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the grave. But again, he conquered all of our sin in this room tonight. And you may ask, man, Dakota, how do, what do I do with this? How do, how do I respond to that? And the Bible calls us to repent. Now, look, our, our pastor, Pastor Steve, he describes repentance as a 180. I'm walking one way, I'm doing my own thing, and I come in contact with the gospel and I turn. It says, repent, therefore turn back so that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance is asking for forgiveness of your sins, but not only that, it's giving your sins over to Jesus. Would you do that tonight? And after you repent, man, you believe in the story that I share with you. You believe that Jesus walked this earth. Jesus walked this earth and died the death that all of us deserve because we're sinners. And then you receive him into your life. You repent of your sins. You believe in Jesus, and you receive him into your heart. Well, man, Dakota, how do I do that? It's, it's a prayer of faith. I prayed, it, I prayed it three years ago. I prayed it June 2017. I remember. I prayed it June 2017, and I can lead you through this prayer of faith. We have counselors ready in the back if you want to talk about it. And it, just, it goes something like this. It's no special script. It's no words that I've written down, but it's you and the Lord in your heart. You and God one-on-one right now, and you would pray something like this. 
God, you are good, Lord, and I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But since I know I'm a sinner, God, I need forgiveness, and I repent of my sins, and I give my sins over to you, Lord. I give my sins over to you, and I believe that Jesus walked this earth, and he died the death that I deserve. But not only that, he was raised to life, God, conquering my sin. And, Lord, I want to receive Jesus into my life. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. It's just like that. It's your heart. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him up from the dead, you'll be saved. And I just, I just want, I want to ask you guys a question, man. I, we believe that there are lost people in this room tonight. And if you prayed that prayer of faith, I just want you to slip your hand up. If you, just, if you prayed that prayer of faith, I want you to slip your hand up. Because that prayer of faith will radically change your life. We have counselors in the back that want to talk to you. Who else? If you just gave your life to Jesus, I want you to slip your hand up. Because if you won't be bold in here, you won't be bold out there. And we want you to be bold out there. Thank you. Anybody else? I'll ask one more time. If you just gave your life to Jesus, would you slip your hand up? For the, one, for the ones that raise their hands, will you look at me? Hey, brother, how you doing? Will you look at me? Hey, we have counselors in the back that want to talk to you. And if you would, would you stand up right now and just go to the back? I have college students ready to talk to you. Go ahead. You can slip to the back, man. You can slip to the back. Now, for the rest of us, we thank you Christians, which is awesome. Hallelujah. We thank you Christians. And if you're struggling with peer pressure, if you're battling peer pressure, I want to invite you as well. We have college students that want to talk to you and hear from you and hear how, what you're battling with. And after, after this last worship song, or during this last worship song, if you would just go to the back. Again, I have college students ready to talk to you and walk through peer pressure with you. So if you're struggling with that, if you're battling with that, please go talk to somebody because our prayer is we don't want you to leave the same way you came in. We want you to leave different. And that's what Jesus can change your life. So many people would agree with me with that because they've given their hearts over to Jesus. But what I'm going to do for us now, I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to worship the Lord. And then, man, we're just going to have a good night. God, you're good, Lord. And I, I thank you for this time, Lord. I thank you for the ability to preach your word. I thank you for the preparation and for your love for all of us in this room, God. Lord, you are the only God. And I pray that these students would stand up for God. I pray we'd speak out for God. And I pray that we would serve the true God, Lord. Because you are the only God that we should serve, Lord. You're the God of the universe. You're the God of creation, God. And we thank you for that, Lord. Lord, I pray the heavens open over this worship song now, Lord. May we worship you truly and freely, God, because you are our Lord and Savior, God. Lord, be with us in this worship. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.